Welcome to Defenders, the teaching class of Dr. William Lane Craig. Today, the doctrine of the Trinity. For more information and resources from Dr. Craig, go to reasonablefaith.org. We've just finished a very long excursus on natural theology, looking at arguments for and against the existence of God. Before we begin our next section, let's step back and reconnoiter. This excursus on natural theology is a subsection of a larger unit that we've been covering on the doctrine of God. The first subsection of the doctrine of God that we looked at was the attributes of God, in which we discussed God's nature. Then we temporarily took this excursus on natural theology to look at arguments for God's existence and against it. Now we want to come to the second subsection of the doctrine of God, and this is on the doctrine of the Trinity. So point A on your outline, if you're taking notes, will be introduction. Introduction A. Now, if I were to ask you here this morning, how many of you think that God is a person? Probably a number of you would say yes. Well, technically, it's incorrect to say that God is a person. Rather, God is three persons. This is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. God is personal, yes, but he's not a person. And this is what serves to distinguish Christianity from other monotheistic faiths, like Judaism or Islam, which also agree that there is one God who is personal, but they think that there is only one person who is God. This also serves to distinguish Christianity from various uh, Christian cults and sects like Mormonism, uh, Latter-day Saints, or Jehovah's Witnesses. You'll find inevitably that these sectarian groups get the doctrine of the Trinity wrong. It's almost like a thermometer that you can use to test these different groups to see whether or not they uh, adhere to biblical Christianity. Unfortunately, the average Christian has little understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. If he gets into a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness who comes to his door, I'm afraid that the average Christian will be completely overwhelmed and unable to defend his Trinitarian faith. In fact, if you probe deeply, he probably turns out to be a heretic in the view of the Trinity that he actually espouses. And so it's important, I think, that we discuss the doctrine of the Trinity to make sure that we accurately understand it. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity is often obscured by Christians in mystery. Sometimes they will say that the doctrine of the Trinity is um, logically inconsistent, or it's an affront to reason, uh, and something that can be held only by faith, it's a mystery. But I think that this really does the doctrine a disservice. The doctrine of the Trinity is not even apparently logically contradictory. The doctrine of the Trinity is not the self-contradictory doctrine that three gods are somehow one God, or that 
three persons are somehow one person. Rather, the doctrine states that there are three persons in the one God. Or, or another way to put it, that God is tri-personal. God is tri-personal. Often, Christians will offer inadequate analogies of the Trinity in order to explicate this doctrine. For example, we're sometimes told that the doctrine of the Trinity is like one man who is a son, a husband, and a father. There's one man, but he is a son, he's a husband, he's a father. Unfortunately, that's not an adequate or accurate analogy for the Trinity, because in that case you have only one person who is simply playing three roles or has three relationships, but there's really only one person that's there. Or another analogy that is often used is that water can be liquid, steam, or ice, uh, and it, yet it's all H2O. Now, this is perhaps a better analogy because at least here you have one substance, one essence, H2O, but this could be in the form of a liquid or of steam or of ice. But again, the analogy really fails because the water is only successively in those various stages. It can be first liquid, and then if it freezes, it turns to ice, or if you boil it, it turns to steam, but it's not simultaneous. It is a succession of states in the water. So I think it's better just to avoid these sorts of analogies. They're all, I think, going to be inadequate in the end. Uh, and it's better to simply say that just as I am a being with one center of self-consciousness, whom I call I, God is a being who has three centers of self-consciousness, each of which can say I. Each one has a first-person perspective. I think that. Uh, I am the Father. I am the Son. I am the Holy Spirit, in the same way that I can say I am William Craig. So God is a tri-personal being. He is a being with three centers of self-consciousness in contrast to human persons who are one being with one center of self-consciousness. Now the doctrine of the Trinity is a systematic summary of the data of Scripture. And therefore, it doesn't really matter that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. The important thing is not the word, but rather the concept or the data that this word uh, denominates. Any word could be used to denominate this doctrine, so long as the scriptural data are respected and not twisted or bruised in any way. So the significant thing is not the, the word Trinity. The significant thing will be the concepts that the Trinity embodies, namely that God is a single tripersonal being. Now, is there any question about that doctrine before we look at some of the scriptural data that undergird this doctrine? Yes, Cody. I guess I want to make more of a comment. One way that I heard it 
explained that I thought made it helpful to me understanding what the doctrine is is the way I heard Nabil Qureshi once describe it is he talks about it's one what but three who's so he says like one being three persons so he says it's like one what but three who's so he says you ask he relates a little bit to what you said but I like the way he explained it where he says you ask me like what am I you know I could say I'm a human being I have a brain lungs and all that but that doesn't answer who I am who I am is this so God is one what but three who's yeah that's very nice. I, I've not heard it put that way, but yeah. that does yeah. capture the idea of three persons, mm-hmm. three who's, but one what, one mm-hmm. being, one substance. Okay, good. And that's from a fellow who comes from a monotheistic faith that required a great adjustment and change on his part with a Muslim background, right? Yes, Patrick? Uh, yes, just really quickly. The defense that a Jehovah would put forth oftentimes is the scripture that says the Father is greater than I. And I know you're about to jump into that, and I will hope you, when you do that you address that All right, when scripture. we get to the deity of Christ, we could talk about that. Um, I won't do that now. We're going to right. look at the scriptural okay. data here in a moment. Yeah, Brad. I guess I don't understand the three eyes. Uh, that, that I could, uh, are they distinct? Are, do they communicate with each other? Are they uh, a Venn diagram? Are they, uh, uh, what, what would make them independent uh, rather than knowledgeable of all three? Okay, these are great questions. And I want to say, yes, they are distinct. These are three distinct persons. It's not as though one person can be another person. Persons are distinct. Now, that doesn't mean they're independent of each other in the sense that one person could exist without the other one, because these persons belong to the same being. Uh, And so it's not as though one of the persons could be extinguished uh, and the other person still exist. So they're not independent, but they are distinct. They're not identical. The Father is not the Son and is not the Holy Spirit. So we can say that the the Father is not identical to the Son, is not identical to the Holy Spirit. And so when we say, well, we're getting, I'm getting way ahead of myself. (laughs) But when we say that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, we're not making an identity statement. What we're making is a predication of divinity or deity to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we'll talk more about these questions. But the short answer would be that these are distinct persons. We mustn't try to merge them into one person. They are distinct persons, but they're not independent in that these are the self-conscious persons or consciousness as of a single being, which is God. But all three are all-knowing? Yes. So wouldn't they know each other, and wouldn't that make them non-distinct? Well, they are personally distinct in the sense of identity. Just as you are not Carol or Mary, these are distinct persons. But I think you're quite right in saying that because each one is divine, each one is deity, Each one is omniscient and omnipotent and all-loving and eternal. 
each has to share the essential properties of deity, which we've already looked at. So, so there would be no distinction between the knowledge of each or the understanding me, of me, each. Then, what uh, is nuance distinct? Nuance that a little then? bit. Let me nuance that a little bit, Brad. Recall when we talked about the attribute of omniscience, God's omniscience. We defined omniscience in terms of propositional knowledge. Uh, that is to say, in terms of knowledge of all true propositions or facts. And so we said that uh, a being S is omniscient if and only if, or by definition, uh, for any proposition P, S knows P and does not believe not P. So for any proposition P, S knows P and does not believe not P. And if that, those conditions are fulfilled, then S is omniscient. Now this is defined, as you notice, in terms of propositional knowledge. And if you look at your notes from that discussion of omniscience, we pointed out that God is even greater than omniscient because there's also non-propositional knowledge. And this would be knowledge of first person um, st statements like, I am the Father. And that is not something that the Son knows. The Son knows that from his perspective, you are the Father. But he doesn't think, I am the Father. He would be deluded if the Son believed he was the Father. Similarly, the Holy Spirit knows you are the Son, you are the Father. The Holy Spirit does not believe I am the Father or I am the Son. So I'm, I'm saying all this because you're asking a very important question about what these persons know and do, are they different in knowledge. And what I want to say is that being omniscient, they all have the same propositional knowledge. But being different persons, they would have different non-propositional knowledge. Each one has a first-person perspective that will yield unique first-person non-propositional knowledge. Is that clear? Okay, and if, if you don't remember this, look back at the notes on the divine omniscience section. Yes, James down here. Bill, I just wanted to bring up something. You, you used the word tri-personal to describe the Trinity. Yes. I think you have to be really careful with that because I've seen error where, and I can't remember where I've seen it, but I've seen the Trinity referred to as personalities, which would be an error. Each person of the Trinity does have a unique personality, but there is a difference between a person and a personality. Uh -huh. And by personality, James, you mean something like a, a psychology, a kind of character? Exactly, because then if you start if you start assigning, like, say, say you assign a personality to the father and then another one to the son, you end up with modalism. Mm -hmm. I am talking about personhood here. No, no I, I understand that. It's just that when, okay. when I guess when you'd use the word tri-personal to dis describe the trinity, I yeah. guess I was a little concerned about that because I've, yeah. like I said, because I've seen this error. All right, um, well, so, then let's yeah. just okay. understand that caveat that one is talking about personhood and not personality. Yes. 
since Brad brought up the the knowledge uh, of the three different beings, would you address the scripture? Three different persons. Sure. Not I'm sorry. Three different I'm beings. sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm right. just talking quickly. The three different persons of God. Okay, so could you address the scripture where Jesus talks about the end times and says not even the son knows, but the but only the Father knows? Yeah, well, we're getting a like little ahead of ourselves. This is kind of like Patrick's question about the Father's greater than I. Mm-hmm. So let's hold those questions until we get to the deity of the Son, and then we can raise those issues, okay? Okay. but Right but now that... we're just introducing the doctrine right. and want to understand this idea of one God who has three Persons. centers of self-consciousness. But... Uh, would you define also then propositional knowledge? Because w- wouldn't that not fall under propositional knowledge? It would. Okay. Yes, it would. By propositional knowledge, a proposition is the information content of a sentence. So, for example, the sentence Barack Obama is the president of the United States has that information content that Barack Obama is the president of the United States. But suppose Barack Obama says, I am the president of the United States. In that case, he uses a different sentence to express the same proposition that I just expressed when I said Barack Obama is the president of the United States. It has the same information content, but the words can be different because he's saying it from a first-person perspective, and I'm talking from a third-person perspective. Another word for True propositions would be facts, factual knowledge, maybe that would help. But the the idea basically is you take a declarative sentence and then you ask, well, what's the information content conveyed by that sentence? And that's, that's propositional content. And propositional knowledge would be knowledge of all true propositions. This is, again, this is what possible worlds are made of. Remember, a possible world is just a list of all the true propositions that describe reality. Uh, and so that would, that, that would be similar, a knowledge of all true propositions. Thank you. Yes. Cindy. Bill, would it be inappropriate to think of it as one being with three faces? You know, Cindy, like in the Revelations, face, they talk about... Yeah, the, the, well, this the is real faces. interesting, that, that what you just said. Historians have said that you don't really have, in the ancient world, prior to these Trinitarian debates among the church fathers, the concept of personhood. The Greek word for person is prosopon. And a prosopon was the face mask worn by a Greek actor in the Greek theater. So when you wear that mask, that would be your face or prosopon. And this is the word then that came eventually to mean a person. The problem with sticking with that metaphor of the face is that it sounds very much like the doctrine that There's really only one person here, one actor, but he's playing different roles by putting on different masks. And we don't want to say that. I'm envisioning a being, and not that he changes masks, 
to depict a character or a okay. being, but I'm thinking of a a being that has three faces simultaneously. Okay. All right, that's a metaphor, a metaphor. But I think I understand what you're saying, and that that does capture the idea of this tri-personal being, three, as it were, faces that stand to each other in I-thou relationships and can interact and, and interact with the world. Correct. I, I just, again, would caution about using metaphors like that because it could sound like a single actor wearing three masks. Right. It, and you don't want to say that. No, it's just so hard to, in a human mind, to try to capture the reality of the Trinity without any help, if you will, on a, a way to envision it. Yeah, an analogy. I, I, I appreciate that, yes. Okay, Jim? Building on what Cindy just said and coming from a theatrical background, rather than saying one actor with three faces, that actor is portraying three different identities via the masks. Yeah, now that, but that again wouldn't be the full doctrine of the Trinity because you still no, got only not. one person there. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just taking hers okay. a step further for clarification. Yeah, all right, although that's not what Cindy wanted to say, but okay. right, a man, a, a single Shakespearean actor might play a girl, mm -hmm. mightn't he? Or he might play a fellow based upon the costuming and, and effect of his voice. So that, yeah, those could be different roles, but, and, and that would be a heretical version of the Trinity because right. you don't preserve there the distinction of the persons that Brad was talking about. Yes, Taiwan. Dr. Craig, can I have you draw two diagrams, real, real simple diagram. First is a circle with an arrow coming in and an arrow coming out. Okay, oh God. <laughs> Is this what you had in mind? Yes, exactly. And then the next diagram will be two circles, one arrow in between. Okay. <laughs> Which way does the arrow point? Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's good. Okay. So can we say that man is the diagram on the top that we have to have input and output? Can we say that God is the diagram in the in the lower end where the Trinity are explained by those three things. Ah, now don't we need to add a third? No, the, the Holy Spirit is the, the error. Oh, oh, okay. Well, Taiwan, <laughs> <laughs> there, there are theories of the Trinity advocated by certain medieval theologians like Thomas Aquinas in which he thought of the Son and the Holy Spirit as subs subsistent relations was what he called them, in which God stands. And so he would want to say something like this, that th this relation here is one of the persons of the Trinity. Now, I can't make sense of that myself. I don't see how this how the idea of a relation can be a person. Okay. And so for me, I, I just find this completely unhelpful, but you're not out of bounds in talking this way, at least. 
Can I use a illustration of like say if we say God the Father is a creator and all his ways are expanded in words like the Bible or or any truthful document or whatever and then the son is the receiver of all that and manifester of all that. Well, again, the son wouldn't be the receiver of God's creating activity. Otherwise, you make the son a creature, right? And you don't want to say that. Wait, wait, wait. wait. (laughs) But there is in among the church fathers, as we'll see, this doctrine that somehow the son is begotten from the father and not in his human nature but in his divine nature that among the trinitarian persons there is this relationship of dependence of the second person on the first Mm -hmm. and some of these medieval theologians think of this in terms of a relation where God the father is like the subject of the relation and I And then the son is the object of that relation, me. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when I think about myself, when I think about me, I am both the subject, I, but I'm also the object of my thought, me. I and me. And there is this type of medieval theology that thinks of the Trinitarian persons, at least the son and the spirit, as these relations Mm -hmm in which the Father stands. Now, again, to my mind, that doesn't make sense. It isn't what we mean by a person. I don't see how a relation can be a person. But you're not out of bounds, so to speak, in talking like this, because among medieval theologians and Catholic thinkers in particular, this type of Trinitarian thinking is prevalent. The reason why I want you to draw the two diagram is I want to emphasize that men are entity focus and God is relational focus. And where I originally wanted you to draw one error, like from the father to the son. Um, oh. Yes. And so actually, in essence, God is probably demonstrating a relationship uh, more so than an entity so that the Trinity comes in. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I won't say any more than what I've already said, except that on these views, they typically will add a third person who proceeds from the father and sometimes from the son. Indeed, sometimes they'll say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father by the son. And that's a distinction between Eastern Orthodox thinking and Catholic thinking, whether or not the Holy Spirit proceeds directly from the father or does he proceed through the son. But here we're getting into very fine points of church history and Christian doctrine that I I think for now at least I want to uh, set to one side. All right, any other comment or discussion on this introductory point? Yes. All right, um, so I'm done for today with all these questions and stuff. (laughs) This is all over my head, but uh, and I think I get your point that we can't come up with analogy for 
this Trinitarian God kind of just maybe stop coming up with an analogy and try to understand who God is. So are we right to say that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Can we say that? Yes, I think that's right. And then when you drew up on there saying that the Father does not equal the Son, the Son does not equal the Holy Spirit, can we say that God equals Father plus Son plus Holy Spirit? Okay, I think that that isn't the way that we should, should speak. I'm just trying to understand who right. God is myself. You know? <laughs> right. You remember Bill Clinton once remarked that it all depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Oh, God. Is. Well, that was very profound. Um, when you say, let's see, he is the king, let's say. You could take that to be an identity statement that some person is identical to the king. But suppose you have a co-regency in which, say, there are two kings that are sharing the throne, as has often happened in history. In that case, then it's not an identity statement to say that he is the king. Rather, what you mean by that would be something like, P is royal. And this is not an is of identity, this second one. It's an is of predication. You're predicating a property of that person. You're not saying that he is identical to something. So it really is true that it, it all depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. Is it an is of predication or an is of identity? And when we say that the Father is God, we don't want to say that this is an is of identity, because since the Son is God as well, that would lead to the conclusion that the Father is the Son, which we know is false. So this is not a way of making an identity statement. This is an is of predication. It means the Father is divine. The Son is divine. And therefore, both the Father and the Son are divine. But they're not identity statements any more than number two here, P is royal, is an identity statement. So that's why I, I want to resist or, or explain when we say the Father is God, the Son is God, we need to be sure that we understand how we're using the word is. Is that helpful? I'm sure it is. <laughs> to someone, at least. <laughs> okay, well, just think about it. Think about that difference between an identity is and an is of predication. All right, Tom, I think, had a comment. Now, see, I didn't intend this to be difficult. It's just that you ask questions, which... Just looking you know, for, for some advice. Okay. And uh, on how to deal with grandchildren in this area. We, I was ah. doing a, a devotional the other day with my grandchildren. They're six years old. And it was with Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Yeah. So afterwards, the, the grandson asked, well, if Jesus is God, why does he have to pray to anyone? And, and I said, that's a great question for your grandmother. Oh, and Tom, so I don't know what she Tom, said, but come on. <laughs> yeah. You can't so what, pass How the would buck. you deal with grandchildren or, or children? At that age? I would get them, 
our children's series, What is God Like?, which is a series of 10 illustrated booklets featuring this uh, very endearing cartoon family, Brown Bear and Red Goose, oh, right. and their two little children, Charity and John. Yeah. And the ninth volume in that series is called God is Three Persons. And it's an explanation by Papa Bear to the little children uh, about what the doctrine of the Trinity is all about. And this will be an easy and entertaining way to explain this to them and then will provoke wonderful conversations uh, with your grandchildren about what these issues mean. With respect to your specific question, I think you should say, well, Jesus was not only God, he was also man. And so as a man, he depended upon the Father to guide him, to empower him. He, he worshiped the Father. And so when Jesus is praying to the Father, uh, this is Jesus as a man praying to God the Father. Okay, yes, Taylor. Uh, just a conceptual question. Uh, if we were to view a Trinitarian being that was not God, so not perfect in all, all ways, uh, would one person of the Trinity be able to disagree with another person of the Trinity? I'm just trying to... Yeah, and this is one of the objections that's sometimes raised against thinking of the persons of the Trinity as three centers of self-consciousness, uh, as opposed to, say, subsistent relations, such as was discussed before. What if they disagreed with each other? And there, I think one would simply say that in virtue of their omniscience and their moral perfection, there isn't any possibility of disagreement. Because what the Father wills, the Son and the Spirit also will. What the Father knows, the Son and the Spirit know. What the Father loves, the Son and the Spirit also love. So that there isn't any possibility of disharmony among the persons of the Trinity. Precisely because he is the perfect being. Right. Okay, thank you. Well, with that we have introduced the subject then that we will be discussing over the next several weeks. I think at this point it would be a good time to simply bring today's lessons to a close. And what we'll talk about next time will be the scriptural data that undergird the doctrine of the Trinity, in which we'll see that the scriptures teach both that there is one God and one God alone, but also that there are three distinct persons in the Godhead. So let's have a benediction and we will close. And now may the love of God the Father and the grace of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. The copyright for the content of this recording is held by Dr. William Lane Craig. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org.